0: we made fun of Clemson mercilessly when I was in school, like five Pete in pictures all the time. And if you want to go back into the history books, yes, Clemson is winning in the win column by far when it comes to that series, but still like it shows you how things can change. And you brought that up with South Carolina and their facilities. They're incredible. And when they were playing football with Spurrier back from, what, the 2010 to 2014 were really the big years, the back-to-back 11-win seasons, Outback Bowl, uh, beating Alabama in 2010. I mean, those facilities weren't there. The facilities that were there were were not nice <laughs> at all. Um, they were still able to recruit the Jadavian Clownies and the Marcus Lattimores and the Connor Shaws and the Stephon Gilmores Who made that team what it was and and there's obviously an argument for Steve Spurrier being a huge reason why those players were there but I I just never understood that like oh well South Carolina fans should just be happy with seven wins from year to year like what are we doing then
1: hey what's going on this is the Saturday Bounce South podcast I am Connor O'Gara well I'm in a good mood today a really good mood in fact, we started watching Community, and we're in that like ideal late season one spot with it. I know it goes downhill late, but I'm very much enjoying it right now. You've been telling me for a while that I needed to
2: get into Community. Yeah, it's good. Now you can finally get my like random SEC references that deal with Community. This is a great development for us. It really is. And I feel like I've seen a lot of the
1: the GIFs come to light that I really understand as much before. And I I know a lot of people felt that way with The Office. They're like, oh, wait, now I get basically every single GIF that's on the internet because it comes from The Office in some way, shape, or form. So that's put me in a good mood. SEC Media Days are this upcoming week, Monday through Thursday. I guess it's technically next week, depending on when you're listening to this. Definitely gonna be a little bit different with a smaller crowd, only doing two player representatives for each team. And it's weird to think about this too, because we didn't have media days last year, there are eight SEC coaches entering year one or year two. So over half of the league's head coaches will be experiencing SEC media days for the first time with their team. But so all of those things kind of factoring into this, two years in the making, I am really, really fired up about this. And i know that a lot of people complain about media days and i am not that guy even though it's a bit of a blur for like four days little peel behind the onion here my media days experience consists of these things i'm either at you know, press conferences for coaches or player interviews and then gathering stuff to write about to be able to have to talk about on the podcast or i'm um, doing interviews for the podcast. Or I'm doing interviews on Radio Row for other people's shows and stuff. And I'll be honest, draining week, but I absolutely love it. And the SEC does it unlike anyone else. I've been to other media days and it is just a different sort of experience. Not getting to do it last year probably is leading to some of this excitement and you know, knowing that this has just been finally, like seemingly a normal year, although not quite for media days because I know they're going to have a lot of restrictions there. Talk to me next Thursday and I'll, you know, I know I'll probably be spent after four days of it, but the other media members who can't stand media days or they'll talk about how insignificant it is, you know who they are. I'm always just like...
2: Media days just is, you know? It's like, there's not... To me, it's like, I don't know how you can be anti-media days because that's like... I mean, I feel like you get to see all your friends, right? If you're in the media, like you guys just tweet at each other all year, and then you all get together at, like, the family reunion, right? Uh, fan Fulkin. <laughs> well, okay, there's the problem. That guy doesn't have any friends. <laughs> and, so, if and you have also, friends, I'm sure
1: media Day is great. And also doesn't like football.
2: If you don't like football, and if you don't
1: like interacting with human beings, probably not the place for you, um, but for the rest of us who actually like the sport that we cover and like getting to see some of these people in person that we don't necessarily get to see on a weekly basis throughout the year. It's a great experience. So I will have a lot of stuff for SaturdayOnSouth.com. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff on the podcast as well next week. Will, you've been to media days before. Is that an accurate
2: assessment? Just
1: kind of the blur of what goes into the entire experience?
2: Yeah, no, I think it was super fun when we went. Uh, one of the times that we went, we had that whole storefront and we got to set everything up. That was super fun. Obviously, I went to high school in Hoover, Alabama, but Hoover Buck, so that's my hometown, I guess. It's one of the favorite things about it. So I love Media Days, personally. Shout out to Two-A-Days
1: mm-hmm. as well. All-time great show. Is that Are all those episodes on YouTube yet? They
2: should be. I, they're actually kind of hard to find. Sometimes we get nostalgic and try to go back, and like the streaming thing has really left Two-A-Days behind. You were how many years off of that? I, whenever I tell
1: people that you went to Hoover, that's the first thing that I always want to follow up with. You know that show Two Days that you know that's where where they they did uh, you know who was at Hoover High, and obviously like in the SEC circles because recruiting we know it really well. But how many years did you miss out being there while that was being filmed?
2: Um, so we were like, we were a year off of our seniors being part of it, if that makes sense. Like the, okay. the previous yeah, yeah. class was the freshman in that class. Gotcha, gotcha. That's like the
1: same thing whenever I say, oh yeah, I went to the same high school as Tommy Zabukowski and I missed him by, I think it was a year. Or maybe it was two years. I oh, don't know. I missed him by two years. I think that's what it ended up being. But yeah, cool high school experience nonetheless. Plan for today. We've got Alyssa Lang coming up. It's fun to be able to chat with her about all that she's going on. She's got going on with SEC Network right now. Um, those who have been listening to this pod for the last couple of years know that Alyssa is awesome. She's got a really bright future at SEC Network within that ESPN family. So we've got that. I'm going to do SEC West best case scenario, and then we'll do grocery stores in figuring it out. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by College Football Uncensored. Saturday Down South's newest podcast has everything you need to stay entertained and informed in all things college football and beyond. Marler and Tyler Huck do a great job of keeping it light and loose to discuss everything you wanna know or maybe didn't realize you wanted to know about the sport that we love. Whether that's talking about the worst big stadium atmospheres, Ohio State is up there for me, really not that impressed with the shoe. Or, you know, they'll break down why Reggie Bush needs his Heisman back. College Football Uncensored has it all covered. And hey, if you're one of those people who hates the bleep button, you're good. No bleep button's needed. They've got cursing, banter, and everything a college football fan would want. So if you haven't yet, go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to College Football Uncensored. Best case scenario, SEC West edition. A little refresher in case you missed last week's best case scenario for SEC East teams. Go listen to that first. This week is the West. And remember, we're just talking about regular season here. These are going to sound really optimistic and high because they are. It is best case scenario. Not necessarily what I think will happen. It's if you play the season out 20 times, this is breaking down everything that can go your way and have that that ceiling for your team it's maximizing your team's potential like i said last week best example 2013 auburn they caught the brakes. they had the talent and you know former players on that team have told me in the past that they got all those things working but yes it was a more talented team than people realized coming in i still wouldn't have had that team going to a national championship in the best case scenario but that was everything bouncing their way that possibly could have happened. As much as I like to weigh all factors for upside, which are talent, coaching, scheduling, some best case scenarios are beyond what I thought was possible. So again, I'm repeating this from last week, but I'm gonna do this for the SEC West as well. If your team surpasses my best case scenario, I'm gonna write an apology letter to your team at the end of the season. So I wanna hold myself accountable for all these things. I don't wanna sell anybody short feel free to remind me about any of these takes, write them down, whatever. And again, these aren't record predictions. I'll do my crystal ball series in August. These are ball balances the exact right way. And again, the West going to sound more optimistic even than the East because teams are just really, really good in the West. And it could end up feeling a little bit reminiscent of 2014 where maybe we see all the teams in the West get into the AP Top 25 at one point. So let's start with Alabama. This is boring, but best case scenario was 12-0. It'll always be 12-0 with Saban there. Oh, what about having a new starting quarterback? Alabama went unbeaten in the regular season each of the last three times they had a new starting quarterback. 2016, Jalen Hurts, 2018, Tua, 2020 with Mac. And Bryce Young is more highly regarded than all of them. Bryce Young's best case scenario, Heisman Trophy. It's having a redshirt freshman season like Jameis, like Manziel. He's third in the preseason odds to win the Heisman on FanDuel, which means that you should not bet on him. Again, friends don't let friends bet on the preseason favorites to win the Heisman Trophy. Just don't do it. Got a lot of stuff on SaturdayDowlandsSouth.com that shows the evidence of that in the past and why since 2009 only one of the top two preseason Heisman favorites have gone on to win the award. Will I'm gonna put you on the spot? Do you know what that is?
2: Wait, 2009. Give me that stat again. Sorry, I was trying yeah, to. Yeah, like I, I, about- I
1: said that. I said that way too fast. Going back to 2009, which your Mark Ingram won the Heisman. There have only been there's only been one Heisman Trophy winner who is preseason top two in the Heisman odds. So in other words, the guy that everybody thought was gonna win the Heisman won the Heisman
2: dang yeah that's tough um i'm going to say mariota that is really good
1: god you are you you crushed the trivia i didn't have 10 bucks on that one but <laughs> man you've been you've been really on the money yes that is the the exact right answer more times than not it just doesn't work out so bryce young i think has that type of ceiling and don't let inexperience necessarily tell you that he doesn't have that type of ceiling His ideal season is clicking perfectly with Bill O'Brien, who becomes the latest in the Saban Coaches rehab program to get cleaned up and back (laughs) on that upward trajectory. O'Brien's offense in this best case scenario isn't quite on that Sark level, but it's still darn good. John Mechie shakes off what's been a really weird offseason. And if you've spent any sort of time uh, on social media, just kind of some head scratching things that you've seen from John Mechie, I'll leave it at that. But best case scenario is he becomes the guy. Jai Hall becomes that fun player who goes viral every other game. And Jaleel Billingsley, Billingsley, party at Taylor's house now, Billingsley. <laughs> Will, we've got to put that clip in every single time I bring up Billingsley. I'm with that. that. That'll never get old. Billingsley becomes what OJ Howard and Herb Smith Jr. were. That is top end, elite tight end who can take over a given game. Maybe not going to do it every single week, but he has those games where he just looks unguardable. But it's really a defense where I think we'll see the improvement for Alabama. Bama's biggest weakness might be finding a player of Christian Barmore's caliber who can get pressure without necessarily needing to send five guys. But Will Anderson, the more I look back on the year that he had as a freshman, the more I realize this guy was really, really good for that team. And to have Christian Harris and now Henry Toto in the front seven, this group just has a lot of proven, proven guys up front. Yet, I think it's probably the secondary that could be the biggest strength, even after losing Patrick Sertan, Jordan Battle, Malachi Moore, Josh Job. They all have All-America upside. So, yeah, even though I think Bama ends up losing a game in the first half of the season for the first time in six years, that hasn't happened since 2015, that they've lost a game in the first half of the season. I think that happens this year. I'll get to more of that with the crystal ball. It's still 12-0 and in the best-case scenario, right, Will?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we could put a 13th game on the schedule and they'd win that. Obviously, if we're thinking about the best case for Bama, it's like, I don't know how you do better than last year. So we're already sitting at it. Arkansas. I've asked, I've been asked this question a lot
1: in the past few months because Arkansas radio, they, they're always wondering about that stuff. As good as Arkansas athletics have been in the last year or so, they always want to know. They always want to do the crystal ball type stuff. What's the ceiling for next year? Best case scenario, eight and four. I want every Arkansas fan, close your eyes, go back to 20 months ago. You've just fired Chad Morris. You watched Ty Story, story of a hurl, dice you up. You have no idea what the future holds. You're going to be paying two massive buyouts to coaches who weren't very good. You're about to close your second consecutive season without an SEC win and third consecutive year without a bowl game. Now open your eyes and be thrilled that eight and four is a realistic best case scenario for your team. I don't think the upside is there for a winning record in the SEC, especially not in that division this year. But the upside is there to beat Texas, while Texas is still kind of figuring some things out and maybe trying to to get the hang of Sark's offense. But still, I've said this offense this offseason that this will be the sec's most improved defense the final number last year number 99 scoring defense it didn't really show how good this group was when it was healthy they had a top 40 defense through the first six games and then they had no depth on the defensive line best case scenario for a defense this year that returns all but jonathan marshall is they find a way to get a better pass rush with the 3-2-6 that barry odin likes to run Grant Morgan, Jalen Catalan, they become bona fide All-Americans. They're getting some of that love in the preseason. Those guys come up clutch and allow Arkansas to win those games that are close that they lost last year. Best case scenario is Arkansas fans getting worried about Barry Odom becoming more and more attractive as a head coaching candidate. And then on offense, best case scenario is Traylon Burks having the all america season, becoming a first round pick and finding that key number two option with Mike Woods off to Oklahoma whether that's Davion Warren or PetSmart national spokesman Trey Knox. Yep. One of those guys has to step up and be that dude. The ideal scenario is K.J. Jefferson becoming a top-four quarterback in the SEC who's at least worthy of that all-conference discussion. It's been 10 years since Arkansas had an all-SEC quarterback. That was Tyler Wilson back in 2011. I didn't want to put you on the spot with that one, Will. Uh, I would have been wrong there. I I would have
2: guessed Ryan Mallett, man, the way-too-tall guy from Arkansas.
1: Well, Mallet would have been – because Mallet predates predates Tyler Wilson. Yep. So I guess Tyler Wilson's even more recent than that. But still, I mean, 10 years and, you know, all SEC quarterbacks. It's it's not that difficult to have one of those come along, you know, because it's not just one guy specifically. This is the first time that Kendall Bryles has been in the same place in the last five years. So I think Jefferson being able to learn that system, which has – you know, really done nothing but improve the offenses that it's been in everywhere for the last four years. I think being in that system is huge, even if KJ Jefferson isn't necessarily a typical fit. Remember, he was recruited by Chad Morris because he's not really going to be a guy that's going to beat you with his legs. Some of those off script throws probably need to improve, but I still come back to this. Is Arkansas about to have a winning SEC record playing in the West in a best case scenario? No. You got road games at Georgia, at LSU, at Bama. Plus, you've got AM back in Jerry World. Speaking of things that Arkansas hasn't done in a decade, haven't beat AM in a decade. Really? Probably gonna have to change that if you want a best case scenario. Yeah, it's been that long, which is kind of crazy. So that's that's how I get to, to eight and four in that best case scenario.
2: Arkansas is so fascinating, man. They're such a weird job because We've seen them be super good, you know what I'm saying? That Chad Morris thing was wild. I mean, really, like, looking back at that, it's like, we're all just going to pretend that didn't happen, right? Like, because, like, I would have told you their floor was a lot higher than that. They have some super passionate fans. Like, they're sneaky, like, a really cool SEC fan base, really cool job. And it's good to see them be back, and especially with our boy Sam Pittman, you know, it's just a fun place to be.
1: I think it's one of those jobs that I said throughout their struggles – you guys just need to adjust your expectations with A&M now in this conference and being able to recruit in the state of Texas. And I've, I've said that for a while, but now you kind of get into it with a recruiter like Pittman and how national of a reputation that he has. And I, th- I just think that sort of changes things and it changes what you're capable of doing. And talent isn't necessarily going to be a thing that's, that's lacking there. And year two, can he have that significant improvement because Arkansas fans are ready and waiting for it?
2: Auburn. Best case scenario with Auburn is always tough. I thought about just doing... Th- you just I mean, say national championship, I, I, and then you can't be wrong. Because like the two I, that they have like been to, like you said, came out right? of nowhere. So every year you just got to go, you know what? This could be the year, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I I really thought about
1: just kind of doing it as a joke of doing 12-0 and 0 and just kind of going through like these random things that could happen. And, you know, this receiver here, all of a sudden, you know, Demetrius Robertson, you know, has a 200-yard game and torches Alabama in the iron, but, like, all these things that you would just never think of happening. Like, Sean Shivers, you know, finally is able to, like, you know, have this breakthrough game and tank, even though Tank Bigsby gets, you know, injured for the year. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Best case scenario for Auburn, 9-3. and three. The most Auburn thing ever would be one-upping 2013 and just watching lightning strike three times in a season. But then I think about Bo Nix. And... <laughs> I, I think his best case scenario, I just can't get there. Best case scenario for Bo Nix is 2018 Felipe Franks. Cool redemption story for the scrutinized veteran in a new offense, and he has those moments. He plays for a competitive team. He makes the occasional play that reminds you why he was so decorated as a recruit. And then he has that game that just makes you pray that Anybody but him can start at quarterback moving forward. Maybe he even gets benched and bounces back. if People forget Felipe did that back in 2018. Kyle Trask breaks his foot, and then Felipe gets inserted back into the starting lineup. You cannot tell me, though, even the most diehard Auburn fan, you can't sit here and tell me that Bo Nix has an unlimited ceiling. You can, however, tell me that Tank Bigsby has an unlimited ceiling. And that's me saying that, not just PFF. I'll have Tank as one of my uh, my two first-team ICC running backs in the preseason. That's something I have thought about a lot. Tell, trust me, I have thought about that so, so much. And I might dig into that a little bit more when we do some of our media day pods, and I'll go into some of that decision-making process because I my brain has just been thinking about that in free time way, way too much. But Tank will be getting one of those two spots on the first-team ballot. I know the previous coaching staff said... They thought that Tank had Heisman upside. I don't necessarily think it's quite on that level with this specific team. I worry a little bit about the beating that he's gonna take, but this is best case scenario. Best case scenario is Mike Bobo looking like the running back guru. Tank becomes an all American caliber back with that 1500 yard season, and I've said this before, but best case scenario is Derek Mason leading that Auburn defense and becoming what Mike McIntyre was for Ole Miss in 2019, and what Barry Odom was for Arkansas this past year. The difference between those guys and Derek Mason is that Derek Mason inherited a lot more talent. It was a top 25 defense four out of the last five years with Kevin Steele. Auburn should have one of the better secondaries in America with Roger McCreary, uh, Jalen Jalen Simpson, Nehemiah Pritchett, Smoke Monday. In a best-case scenario, they have a top 20 passing defense and they thrive off that turnover margin stat. That ends up being the thing that they hang their hat on. Still, though, Brian Harson has such a daunting first-half schedule to navigate. At Penn State, you start off SEC play at LSU, home against Georgia. I've mentioned this before. Then in the back half, you've still got games at a and and then against Bama at home in the Iron Bowl. Those five games, I can't see Auburn going 3-2 and two against that group. I see two and three at the very best, and maybe that's pushing it. When you look at you know the Bo Nix home road splits. So that's how I get to nine and three. Will is that
2: is nine and three even too optimistic
1: in a best case scenario?
2: I mean, you never know. And you touched on this, but it's underrated. I mean, every year Auburn has the hardest schedule in America because they have that cross division rivalry with Georgia, and they still have to play LSU, Alabama, and there's always going to be that one team in the West that's surprising. So yeah, it's like you know you got this new system, and I love that coaching staff coming in. I mean, I can't say enough. The- Good things about them. You got kind of an up and down gust thing. These guys seem like their whole thing is stability, which is exactly what Bo Nick said. You touched on that. Um, I think year one, we don't want to be too optimistic and kind of set them up for failure, at too high expectations. But it, it does seem like you know off-season buzz. You never know, but it does seem like things are headed in the right direction. And the biggest thing is more of their schedule and, like you said, their quarterback play.
1: Let's go to Mississippi State because this is another another tricky one to kind of figure out. <laughs> Best case scenario is 8-4. and four. Shout out to ESPN's FPI. They crunched the numbers again. They realized that putting Mississippi State at number 8 a year removed from a 3-7 and seven regular season was probably just a little bit off.
2: No, hold on. So the way ESPN. that those guys crunched the numbers is exactly how Michael Scott crunched the numbers. It was just like, Mississippi State's 8. Can, can you crunch the numbers again? And they actually changed it. So good for them, I guess. I almost put that exact reference in
1: here and then thought, that's a little bit too specific. I don't want to have too many office references that people just don't understand. So thank you, Will, for providing that. <laughs> that's what I'm here I for. Uh, so they went back, though. They reprogrammed the system. They got rid of the bugs. They had an editor's note at the top of this updated FPI story, basically apologizing for being wrong with, quote, data and modeling errors. Yeah, of course. Like, all of us are really dead set on everything FPI. We really take that formula as gospel in college football. Updated rankings, a little bit more tempered expectations, Mississippi State, number 24 in the FPI. MSU's best case scenario is not being a top 10 team. And that's someone who I will buy all of the Zach Arnett stock that's available. You know that last year this team at one point was playing three walk-ons on defense. It's pretty good, pretty good for a guy who I think had really low expectations coming in, and I made a lot about having that complimentary style that really just hasn't been there throughout Leach's career playing, playing defense with the air raid offense and how difficult that can be at times. And Arnett just surpassed my expectations for sure, finished number six in the SEC in scoring defense. So combine that with 16 returning starters and then the year two bump with Leach's offense. It's there. I don't know how much it's going to be there at Mississippi State, but go back to Texas Tech year two, improved by eight points, and then year two at Washington State improved by 11 points. Mississippi State should not be the train wreck that it was for a decent portion of last year. And if you look at the latter half of the schedule, it got better, three and three down the stretch. The losses to Georgia and Ole Miss were by a touchdown and then Auburn won by 14, but that game was a rock fight that felt close because offense was basically set back hundred years. I still have my doubts, but best case scenario for Mississippi State is the offensive line kind of doing what I think maybe, maybe this is a little bit reminiscent of like the Ole Miss defense. Just flirt with mediocrity. Just show me on occasion that you can be mediocre and not a total disaster. I keep seeing Charles Cross in all of these way too early mock drafts. And I'm not here to rip on a kid or say that, you know, somebody isn't worthy of that attention and this is an absolute travesty. But I do find myself saying like, you guys realize that he didn't even grade out among the top 20 in the SEC in pass protection, right? Like the PFF numbers for him were not good at all. But best-case scenario for him, again, we're, we're optimistic today. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Best-case scenario for him is living up to that five-star talent, and teams can't just play drop-eight coverage against them. I don't think there's a best-case scenario that has a Gardner-Minshew-type season from one of those two quarterbacks, Will Rogers or Jack Abraham. But best-case scenario would be Mississippi State actually looking like the team who should be throwing it 50 times a game, and they do the things that we kind of expected last year where they lead the SEC in passing. And it feels like a Mike Leach team. Non-conference play is a bit tricky, though. NC State, who returns a lot of experience, should be much better. And also at Memphis, which is never fun. Go ask Ole Miss <laughs> about traveling to Memphis. Mississippi State could absolutely catch a team like a and maybe LSU, In this best-case scenario, that's what everybody was saying about Leach coming into the SEC, was he's going to get one of them. And then he got one of them in the opener last year, and then we realized that LSU wasn't nearly as good as we thought they were going to be. But that could happen in year two. We're still, though, talking about a team who was 3-7 and last year in the regular season and who has one winning season in SEC play in the 21st century. So 8-4 and feels conservative, but fair, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think... See, it's tough with Mike Leach for me because I can't be objective because Mike Leach literally runs what I ran in NCAA football, 14. He runs a <laughs> wide-open, like, throw the ball 100 times. Zach Arnett— Your
1: tailbacks hate you.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. Zach Arnett runs a 3-3-5 defense, which, I again, I've always loved that. I love people who are innovators, do different stuff. You know, we talked about it with um, Josh Heupel, who's also of a similar coaching tree. Um, and he uh, Mike Leach was his coach at Oklahoma, um, it's just the fact that, you know, at Mississippi, they're make their living on um, thick boys, big boys from Mississippi. Shout out South Panola High School and Cake Day. That's another Hoover reference. But they like to build a big down there. And when you start to uh, adjust to that style of offense, uh, it takes a little bit of time. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's right on the head. I, I love that they've gone with this philosophy. And I think that especially in SC West, that's such an arms race. You know, you gotta throw as much as you can at people, and if you get Mississippi State, you know, between a couple of big games, or you get them in the middle of your schedule, you got some guys like uh, that aren't healthy. They can definitely, you know, run with anybody if they get their quarterback situation figured out. So I, I, you know, I'll be rooting for them because I love something that's a little bit different when I'm watching football. And yeah, I think that that's that's a, a good expectation.
1: I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame you on this. I'm gonna blame Zach Arnett for running a three three five offense. A 3-2-5 would be disadvantageous to have like 10 guys in the field. Wait, did
2: I say 3-2-5? But
1: but I'm I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming him. Because running a 3-3-5 is not something that we in the college football world are really programmed to be able to say yet. And I have messed that up many a time with Odom and with Arnett. I feel like I'm always talking about the – I always have to do the mental math in my head. I'm like, wait, did I get to 11? I got to 11. (laughs) So that's not on you. That is not on you. That is Zach Garnett's fault for making us do math and we are not programmed. We didn't come to play school
2: here at the SDS podcast, right? (laughs) All
1: right. Well, let's get to something that I I know you're you're fired up for. LSU's best case scenario. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just
2: kidding. I'm fired up. Let's get it.
1: I think best case scenario is 11 and one. Okay. And again, this isn't record projection. It's best case scenario. It's everything right. lining up in 2019 is still in the back of my mind. And I know that's probably unfair because this team is so vastly different than what we saw that year. Dari Rosenthal now at Kentucky, not even a part of that of that team coming back. It's pretty much just like Derek Stingley. And then you kind of look around and you're like, oh, all these guys weren't part of that group, even the coaching staff. Best case scenario though, 11-1. Everybody knows that LSU's ideal world is moving past what's basically been a pile of crap since the 2020 NFL draft, right? Right. Like ever since then with the opt-outs and with the Darius Guy stuff and all the Title IX investigation and on and off the field, it's just been really bad since that moment where LSU just flexed on the world in the 2020 NFL draft. And it was such a great moment for recruiting and all those things. In LSU's best case scenario, the phrase bounce back season gets beaten to death. And we can't stop hearing about it. We know the talent is there for the bounce back season. You're still second in the SEC in percentage of returning production. Shout out Bill Connolly. Hmm. You've got what should be the best cornerback duo in America and Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks. And most importantly, no Bo Pelini. (laughs) You've got... A promising young pass-rushing duo in, in Ali Gay and B.J. Ogilari, who they are really, really excited about in Baton Rouge, and they should be. You've got a promising transfer at linebacker with Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones! There we go. You've got four starters back on the offensive line. So the running game that was just a dud last year should be better, has to be better. You've got an ideal quarterback battle with Max Johnson and Miles Brennan that doesn't really feel like it has a wrong answer entirely. If one of those guys were to all of a sudden go out on the, you know, enter the transfer portal, they would be highly coveted. There's no doubt about it. And then in addition to that, you've also got Garrett Nussmeyer, who has been getting some really rave reviews in camp as a true freshman. So you feel pretty good about your quarterback situation, which not a lot of teams can say. The best case scenario is all of those things lining up. And of course, Derek Stingley returning to his 2019 form. It can happen. I can't go from saying an LSU team that was dangerously close to being 3-7 is now suddenly back with 12-0 upside, so I'll settle at 11-1. A lot of this feels like it'll fall on the hires that Ed O'Dron made. Jake Peets, Durante Jones facing a lot of pressure as new coordinators. They really are. LSU has the talent to play with anyone on that schedule, and I don't think that there are any limitations on either side of the ball, Also, Cade York is back, so shout out to him, the man who kicked through the fog. What gives me a little pause with this schedule is that there's no cakewalk road game where LSU can show up and just expect to win by 21. At UCLA in the opener, at Mississippi State with the Cowbells back in full force for the first time in SEC play with full capacity crowd, that's going to be daunting. At Kentucky, which a game that LSU should win, but still not a cakewalk, at Ole Miss and at Alabama. That's not a, a, a really favorable road slate. There's, there's not that road game at Vandy or you know, at like a, a hapless Arkansas team. But I'll still say 11-1 because I think without the opt-outs and without coming off a title and all the, the COVID issues that they had last year, especially in the second half, I don't think LSU's likelihood of a free fall is there. There's no reason that LSU shouldn't
2: bounce back this year. Is 11-1 too high, though? Um, I'd probably go 10-2 and two because, yeah, this team just kind of lacks consistency. That's one thing that we've seen. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because you talked about, like, the Rosenthal opt-out. Like, everybody was, like, freaking out about that. It's like, this is the worst LSU offensive line I've ever seen in my life. Why are we excited that all five of them are coming back? Mm-hmm. 2018 was pretty bad. 2018? 2018 was bad. I mean, yeah, but they couldn't throw the, the ball in 2018. Bad. So, like, that's the thing. Like, they still ran the ball in 2018. Last year, I've never seen a worse LSU run game. So I was like, hey, like, I'd rather get Cam Wire out there, get something going. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, like, it's a total shakeup. This is going to be a big time. I hate to say it, you know, uh, what, less than two years removed from that the greatest season ever. But it's a real, real prove it season for Coach O. It wouldn't shock me if we go to, you know, UCLA and suddenly have, like, some bad. Uh, a la, what's his name um the old a&m coach um what do you have yep Ala kevin Sumlin get out there and just have a nightmare scenario at ucla but that being said they can kind of get their footing under them and you know that goes back to a point about mississippi state you know it's like all right boom you gotta play mississippi state then auburn than Kentucky, those are all different style teams. And so that's what I love about the SEC right now is they're diverse. Now for LSU's schedule, that doesn't do them any favors. So yeah, I think that like you said, they have a lot of talent. And the big thing was losing Miles Brennan last year. I, I think that, you know, a lot of LSU was bad. The defense was bad. But Miles Brennan played really well, even in those losses to start the season. And I do think that they would have done better with him. But like you said, the quarterback competition is great. This is gonna be one of the most fun LSU teams to watch because I think that it could really go any way. Like the, the fun of last year wore off about week three when we lost to Mizzou. And it was like, oh no, what do we do now like, after that? Um, but yeah, I do think that this is going to be a big time prove it year for Coach O and the new staff. I love some of the hires they made. So yeah, this is going to be like, you know, 2020 was a bad year for everyone except for Alabama fans. And, <laughs> and I think that, you know, 2021 is going to get back to, I think, a little bit. We're going to be having a lot more fun watching college football this year, I think.
1: The second to last play in that Mizzou game is really interesting to look back on. Please, no. <laughs> because the second-to-last play, not kidding. the last play. I'm just kidding. The, sec- the So the second-to-last play where Nick Bolton breaks up a route to Terrace Marshall in the flat, mm-hmm. Terrace Marshall's wide open. If Nick Bolton doesn't jump up and break, break, pretty much just deflect that pass and shut it down right there and have that entire play sniffed out, Yep. LSU wins that game. LSU season could have been, I think, a lot different. I think a lot different if they had started off two and one because the spiral effect of getting that second loss so early in the season with all the other factors at play with I, I kept saying going into last year the grind of that schedule of not being able to play in front of fans of having the COVID stuff and all the restrictions that come with it with getting tested every day and if your team was going to spiral man there were so many different little booby traps set up and if LSU goes two and one and you kind of get to forget about the Mississippi State game. I just think they have a much different year. And I'm not saying that they would have gone, like, I don't know. I, I, maybe they wouldn't have gone 7-3. and three, But with some of the opt-outs and stuff that just happened in the second half, that that is a fascinating thing to look back on. That individual play that was right there, and they were right on the goal line knocking on the door. Will, I'm sorry I referenced that.
2: It's episode. fine. Dude, it's on Coach O. I won't take too much time on this. But at the end of the day, that's what makes... Hate to say it, that's what makes guys like Saban on that next tier because they don't have bad seasons. College football is so much about your floor. And, you yeah. know, you have this season where you party all off season and there's COVID and all this different stuff happen, And it's like, at these top-tier programs, you don't get these excuses. You don't get them at Clemson. You don't get them at Alabama. You don't get them at Ohio State. And so this is the year that LSU gets to say, okay, last year that was a mulligan. We're going to get back here. Or, you know, it was 2019 a fluke. We'll see.
1: Ole Miss. Best-case scenario is 9-3. and three. I almost went 10 and 2 because <laughs> I think the defense gets better with having 10 starters back, including Otis Reese. Everybody knows that I am high on him, the former Georgia transfer. Even though I don't really trust DJ Durkin, Chris Partridge to be the best at putting guys in the right spots, a best case scenario for that defense is mediocrity, as I said before with the Mississippi State offensive line. Here's an interesting stat that I've been meaning to look up for a long time, and I finally took the 20 minutes to look it up today. <laughs> every team with a winning record in sec play in the 2010 so we're just talking about the last i guess that's 11 seasons if you're yeah just going from 2010 through 2019 all of those teams who had a winning record in sec play had a top 50 defense except these three teams 2015 arkansas who was number 68 2013 georgia who was number 80 that defense really really struggled with todd grantham and then twenty ten Auburn. That before. Who, Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's one it's been a it's been a minute since we've had a, a Grantham jab in there. So thanks, thanks for that. Twenty ten Auburn, who was number fifty-three, but they had Cam, who's the great equalizer. All of those teams though still averaged less than thirty points a game allowed. Ole Miss allowed an average of thirty-eight a game last year. They let up 40-plus in half their games. I was
2: about to say, 38 think, is a shocking number because it felt like 50.
1: <laughs> right? It did feel like 50 for, for a while there. And they had, some, they had some good moments. They had some better moments down the stretch. I will definitely give them that. I think they have to improve by a touchdown a game in their best-case scenario. In an ideal world, Braylon Sanders, Jonathan Mingo, Dontario Drummond, and then Mizzou transfer Jalen Knox – they all make us forget just a little bit about how good elijah moore was the offensive ceiling i I don't know it's that much higher than last year because i thought they really caught people by surprise they're gonna have some really similar personnel and i thought they were forced to do a lot of things because of how bad their defense was so statistically speaking they might actually take a tiny step back and it wouldn't be crazy surprising but we're talking best case scenario best case scenario involves jerry neely staying healthy and having that year with 1,400 scrimmage yards that we've kind of been waiting for. He's been really good, but he kind of hasn't quite had that full season where he'd been like, wow, this guy needs to be in the All-American conversation. Best case scenario is Matt Corral being a top five quarterback in the country, which I think is very, very possible. And he avoids the colossal meltdown games that people hold against him. And then of course, any best case scenario for Ole Miss includes John Rice Plumlee becoming a real weapon that defenses have to game plan for, instead of just being the guy that Lane Kiffin takes a picture with before a game and then tweets at Jeff Levy to get him the ball in an attempt to show how important he is so that he doesn't transfer. You want him to be more than that. Best case scenario is beating Alabama. Maybe there's, I haven't looked at the ESPN FPI just yet, um, haven't crunched those numbers, but I think there's a 15 to 20% chance in the Connor FPI of Ole Miss beating Bama, but that's why this is a best case scenario. Right. Here's why I went with 9-3. and three. This four-game stretch without a bye is brutal. And it doesn't even include Bama. Home against LSU at Auburn. Home against Liberty, which might be the non-conference game that I'm most excited about. And not just because of Malik Willis, but because it's Hugh Freeze returning to Oxford. And maybe, just maybe, it'll be Malik Willis's Heisman moment. Half-joking. And then you've got home against AM. So Ole Miss might be lucky to get out of that 2-2. Two and two. That is a really tough stretch to not have a buy in between there. Best case scenario is going to a New Year's Six Bowl, getting that win against a top-10 team, and maybe, you know, telling Arch Manning, hey, come to the SIP. What do you think about that best case scenario for Ole Miss?
2: I'm, hold on. I am enamored with... Did they make this Liberty matchup? Was that just a coincidence that...
1: Oh, a while ago. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. I have been... One of, the, oh. one of the, the great things that didn't really get talked about a lot with Hugh Freeze not taking a Power 5 job was that this game is going to happen and it's not getting a lot of the preseason buzz because it doesn't happen until November. If it were in September, if that were like a season opener, oh my gosh, I might just decide, drop everything and be there for that.
2: Well, it's the fact too. That it's it. like if that had been what they probably thought it was, which is a cupcake game, the schedule is fine because it goes, you know, it's like Auburn, Liberty, A and M, Vandy would have been perfect, Mississippi State. But now it's like, oh, they have Hugh Freeze, like they could lose this game. Like that was a good team last year. Sorry, I that that's just interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. It's all about the defense, Matt Corral. I mean. You know, we joked about the turnovers, but he's a great quarterback. He's very interesting. Another fun guy. We root for fun guys on this podcast. So, overall, I'm, I'm buying the Ole Miss stock.
1: One more thing on Hugh Freeze. I hope he just stays at Liberty forever. And what Saban does with the coaches in his Saban rehab program, I want Hugh Freeze to do that with former SEC quarterbacks. Just got Caden Salter, the twice-arrested Tennessee quarterback, to transfer to Liberty. So if Hugh Freeze has a future in which he just turns former SEC quarterbacks into like, you know, first round draft prospects, I'd be here for it. That'd be that'd be a fun chapter of, of the Hugh Freeze legacy, don't you think?
2: He's you know, he's in his final form now that he's at a religious institution because he can be like half youth pastor, half football coach. He'd be like, Hey son not nah, touching that. Son, come over here. We're gonna we're gonna turn your life around. All right. And that's his perfect recruiting pitch. He can get anybody up there because it's like, hey, you're a troubled guy, get up here to liberty, we're we'll gonna take care of you, son. Like,
1: an 11 a.m. kickoff on a chilly late fall Saturday in the Big Ten. I am punting on that one. Just <laughs> punting, no, no other option. Texas A&M. Best case scenario, 11 and 1. Again, I told you this was going to be really optimistic. It is. A couple of things here. Haynes King, ultimate X factor in the SEC. I'm standing on that take. Because if he really has that accuracy that Jimbo says, and he doesn't make us all think it's Bo Nicks a couple of years younger, AM is gonna be really, really good. I love the pass catchers and not just Daniel Smith and Jalen Watermeyer. Caleb Chapman is the guy who really intrigues me. He is the guy who torched Florida and then tore his ACL on that touchdown in the fourth quarter. People aren't really talking about him enough. And I know it's because you know he was out for the spring as well. But he was leading AM and receiving when he went down. It's also AM having one of the best backfields in college football. Spiller is that reliable workhorse back, going to be one of those guys who is, is going to warrant some of the preseason All-America discussion. Devon A. Chain, he can probably do the 100-yard dash in the time that it takes me to read this sentence. He is that quick. Everyone knows on the defensive side with AM, I am a Mike Elko believer and I'm a big believer when he's got nine returning starters to work with. I think he might also be playing for, you know, trying to get that head coaching opportunity that he has worked really, really hard to be able to get. Little extra motivation for him there. The Aggies should have, once again, one of the top defensive lines in the country. DeMarvin Leal has top five NFL draft pick potential. He is that dude. Jaden PV really came on strong down the stretch last year. And then the secondary, it returns a lot of experience, more experience that Jimbo has had in the secondary compared to any year that he has been there, which is why the Alabama game, you know, given what they lost at receiver, might be more realistic for A&M than it's been in the past. The biggest question mark is the offensive line which was joe moore award finalist last year replaced four starters kenyon green moving to left tackle i have some questions about that jimbo keeps saying that the upside with this offensive line is higher it's just not at that level yet and i don't want to look too much into the spring game but spring game was oh yeah this is very very different I think it'll have some tough moments early on, especially in pass protection with a first time starting quarterback who really doesn't have a lot of reps because of how durable Kellen Mond was throughout his career. He doesn't really get enough credit for that. But if this is best case scenario, the new Maroon Goons benefit from having a mobile quarterback early on and that group hits its stride by mid season. There's a lot that I really, really like with AM. and And I think the schedule and I know last year coming in, I kept saying with AM, you know, let's stop talking about the schedule. Like this is just gonna be a walkthrough for A&M. They, they're not worthy of being a top 15 team. I've changed my tune a lot because of what they did after the Alabama game. Of course. The schedule this year sets up very well for a New Year's Six Bowl at least. So get this. Through the first weekend in November, the Aggies will leave the state of Texas twice. Huh? It'll be, yeah. Interesting. It'll be the, the tricky early season matchup in Boulder, which, yeah, you know, there could be some weird altitude things with that. But they also just had their starting quarterback Bolt. So who really knows there? AM should still be a significant favorite to win that game. And then that game against Mizzou, which I'm not sleeping on because AM is going to be coming off the Bama game. And Mizzou, we know, is really, really good at home. But it's still a game that AM's probably going to at least be favored in and expected to win. I could see a world in which AM splits with Bama and LSU and runs the table outside of that. Will, is that is eleven and one too optimistic for a best case scenario for AM?
2: No, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I think they split those two games. I think that you know, we've had our whole thing about them versus Bama. I just think like, you know, what was the last time Bama really lost a game that they had the horses and wanted to win? Uh, it's you know, it's been a while. Um, so I think they yeah. I I, I I totally agree with that. I I feel like I come off as anti-A&M. i am very pro a and M. I I just don't necessarily buy that they could be the best team in the SEC because Alabama is standing there, and, you know, we've seen the Jimbo. I just, you know, just hate to pick against Saban. It. It's burned me way too many times. I feel like I just kind of just moved to the side, let it happen. So, like, point being, I do think they're the, the second best team in the SEC West. They definitely, you know— could have that upside of getting up there. They're the closest in striking distance and we'll see kind of what they do with a target on their back this year as opposed to being this great story.
1: I think there are three teams in the West, AM, LSU, Bama. They have a best case scenario that includes winning an SEC championship and earning a playoff berth. If we're wondering about that, as opposed to the East that we talked about where we said could really only see... Two teams with a best-case scenario that includes getting to an SEC championship, winning one. I still don't necessarily think Florida quite has that upside this year. So we're really only talking about one team in the East, and that's Georgia, of course, having that upside to win to, to win the, to win the league. But I think all of those. I came away from thinking, man, there is a lot of talent. There is a lot to like in this division, and it's one that could be very much all over the place and it's going to be hard to do some of these crystal balls because I feel like I'm talking about how optimistic I am about some of these teams now and then I'm actually going to have to do the schedule breakdowns where I'm like oh wait a minute Mississippi State six and six would be favorable if they could get there or Ole Miss wow I guess nine and three doesn't seem quite as realistic maybe I should settle on seven and five or, or something like that I already kind of found myself getting to that point was there any one specific
2: thing one specific takeaway that you had for the division as a whole yeah i mean there's just not really a single boring team like i'm looking up and down this kind of like projections and stuff and it's like i mean you could kind of argue that's auburn because of the gust thing and they were so up and down and like i said that's like what the new staff is trying to do is bring stability but It seems like all of these teams are going to be a joy to watch for different reasons. It seems like it's never been more night and day different from the SEC that we grew up watching as far as these defensive, pound-the-ball teams. It seems like there are fewer and fewer of those type of teams, and everyone has their own little wrinkle. And we have so many great play callers, too. We have so many guys that are you know, top 10, top 15 in all of college football. So I do think SEC football, especially in the West, is going to be a joy to watch this year.
1: Could be a lot of teams in the West in that three and five to five and three range in conference play. Mm-hmm. And how that shakes out could be telling with the division. Let's kick it to Alyssa Lang. Like I said, Alyssa doing a lot with SEC Network right now. If you turn on SEC Network at any given moment, like if you just turn on SEC Network right now, I'm gonna say there's probably a 50-50 chance that she's on your TV. But it was really, really fun to be able to catch up with her. So here is Alyssa Lang. <laughs> I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Alyssa Lang. Alyssa, you've been all over the place and I wanna get to all that you've got going on right now, but let's start off with something pretty important here. How individually responsible are you for Tampa Bay basically becoming the new title town?
0: (laughs) You know, I take uh, 100% responsibility. First of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, I always love, to chat with you guys but uh yeah for anyone who does not know i affectionately refer to him as my roommate when i do podcasts or radio shows but uh my my very significant other was in tampa bay and he covered tampa bay sports until about a year and a half ago uh when he moved up to charlotte to be closer to me after doing long distance for a while and as soon as he left Tampa literally began winning what felt like every big game ever. And since he left Tampa, three championships have been given to that city. So I uh, will be parading that on Twitter because I got a lot of grief when he left. Um, A lot of people who were upset that they weren't going to be able to read his Tampa Bay Buccaneers writing anymore. Um, A lot of, how could you do this to us? You took our favorite beat writer out of the Tampa Bay area. And so uh, now it has been referred to as a curse. Now that he has left, the curse is lifted because that is the only other answer, clearly, to why they were losing previously, uh, prior to him coming to Charlotte, so uh, I'm going to ride that hot take for as long as I possibly can, that I am 100% responsible for those
1: titles. Is he allowed back in Tampa? How, if he, I mean, that that is a pretty strong track record to have all that happen in a year and a half, and I'm in Orlando, so like I, I get some of the Tampa fans in this area, but really it's only the bandwagon fans up here. But when you experience success like that, you kinda just gotta roll with it, I would think, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's gotten pretty intense because I would say probably 90% of people on Twitter, you know, enjoy getting in on the joke and it's really truly a joke. But there are some people who actually I think believe it's a little bit more serious than it was um and when Tampa was in the Super Bowl uh this past season I think he got a lot of don't you dare cross the Florida border (laughs) tweets (laughs) while this Super Bowl game is being played like stay in Charlotte put your curse on the Panthers because obviously uh many of us know how that Bucks-Panthers rivalry goes so uh you know it's it's pretty serious. Uh, He has had a lot of, you know, don't you dare ever come back tweets. So um, that's probably good for me because like I said, I started out as the bad guy in this situation and now I I will get tweets, especially after the lightning recently won the Stanley cup about building a statue of me in Tampa. And and I'm just very (laughs) humbled by something like that uh, for a fan base that I've gotten to know uh through Trevor which has been really cool so it's fun it's one of those uh sports sports banter moments that I enjoy the most as as a sports fan and talking about curses and things like that but like I said thankfully I get to be the hero in this situation and and I will take it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> we we literally have no rules in the state of Florida and some people are going to really try and throw that out there like you can keep an individual out of the entire state no, that that, that yeah. can't work like that I get it though, I do get it um, <laughs> so I, I couldn't come up with an answer for this what SEC sport did you not cover last year?
0: Um, you know, I'm not sure that there was one that we didn't cover last year uh, between Dari, Peter and I uh We're so blessed honestly, to be able to cover a conference that's so successful in literally every corner of the conference uh and that makes our calendar year pretty long but but pretty exciting too you know, I got to go out to Omaha for the very first time in my career this past season to uh, follow the, the teams that we sent out there. And then eventually Mississippi state winning the championship and, and Dari was out there for that final championship series. But uh, it's definitely a point of pride to be able to sit there and know that in, in most sports that exist uh, in college athletics, the sec is typically going to have someone going all the way to the end. Uh, I think there was a span there during basketball season uh, and during spring sports seasons where I think I did a show one Saturday where Georgia won the equestrian title and then the very next Saturday at least it felt like I'm probably wrong on my timeline but it it felt like back-to-back shows then Kentucky won the volleyball title and it was just you know over and over championship teams to talk about so it's fun definitely when You've got a lot of winners and a lot of sports to cover. I've learned a lot about our programs over the last, uh, gosh, I guess, three years of of being here. It's flown by, but uh, the more sports, the better. I think I speak for sports fans everywhere uh, when I say that.
1: So is this your slowest time of year right now, pretty much the only time that you get to be able to exhale and and take a breath and get ready for the start of the school year, or is this when you do a ton of prep and you actually find yourself more busy than in other times of the year?
0: Yeah, I would say July is our slowest month. Um, We're still working, and, and one of the cool things about my particular position is in the summertime, I get to do a lot of filling in on ESPN radio. So I get to talk about a lot of things that I don't typically talk about during my Sort of regular season when college football starts in August and baseball ends uh, in June. So I've gotten to talk about Major League Baseball, hockey, uh, the NBA Finals, all sorts of things. Which for me, being you know so involved in college sports for the rest of the year, I kind of have to sit back and go like, okay, I got to prep for those other leagues a little bit more when I'm able to do some of those things uh, like radio in July, but. Uh, When it comes to getting ready for football season, you know, I've been getting ready for media days for the last couple of weeks, and I'm really going to crank that up even more this week as as we approach media days coming up in literally just a week from now. So um, it's a lot of prep, but it's definitely a lot slower. You know, I, I think anyone will tell you when you get into the grind of the season, It's long days, but it flies by just because of how quickly the season moves and you're traveling and you're doing these shows and then football blends into basketball and then basketball blends into softball and baseball. And before you know it, it always feels like you blink and the year is over. Uh, So this is definitely our time to exhale and uh, take vacations and all those good things. So uh, I will often find myself somewhere on a beach in the month of July, going through preseason reports on 14 of our SEC teams and, and get ready for the season. But there could be a lot worse things to be doing in the month of July than uh, reading about college football on the beach. So I will I will take it, uh, recharge this month, and then as soon as media days come, we're basically hitting the ground running again.
1: Yeah, 98% of America just spends July reading Phil Steele on the beach anyway, so I think right. you're in the vast majority <laughs> by, by doing that. The way, the way that you guys did Thinking Out Loud last year was really cool. I, I thought it was so seamless despite the fact that you guys were doing it remotely and you've done in-studio shows and it's just a different sort of setup, but you guys really had that kind of down to an art. What did you like from being able to experience that and being in a position with a lot of moving parts and you guys are all trying to figure out you know, the exact way that the show is going to flow. What did you really gain from that whole experience?
0: You know, that show and all last fall was really just presenting us new challenges from a TV standpoint every single day. And I've said this before and I'll say it a million more times, you know, thinking out loud changed a lot last season. We went from Greg McElroy and Marcus Spears to a brand new panel of analysts with Richard Spencer and Brandon and the way those guys were able to come in and really just, grab it by the horns and make it their show and not only come in and, and, you know, display their personality, but also connect with the SEC fan bases. I thought was so impressive um, because, you know, I, I thought back to my first year at ESPN and my first few shows and how just terrified I was constantly of messing up and I'm so constantly so nervous and I'm sweating and I'm like, man, these guys did that in a virtual environment and and they made it look like they'd done it a million times. So um, I owed a lot of what was so fun about last year to those guys. But like you said, I mean, it was different um, and they were challenges, you know, typically you're sitting around a table or you're sitting around a desk and you're face to face and it's easy to talk to people who are two feet in front of you about literally anything. And I, I think the format of that show with all four of us, I still have yet to meet any of them in person. I've never met any of them face to face. So, you know, for us to, you know, have never the four of us been in the same room together, but do an hour show every week, it was a different kind of preparation, um, I can say, for me, um, as sort of the the not puppeteer but like the ringleader of you know passing the the stick around for who's talking and who's making this point um for me I had to do preparation for that show in a much different way because there were times where we lost someone's shot or we lost someone's audio just like you see on zooms constantly so uh for me as a broadcaster I learned And I learned to improve the art of of tap dancing in awkward moments a little bit better. So um, there were plenty of of those like awkward, oh my gosh, that three seconds felt like forever. And it was just one of those things that I think anybody in the TV Zoom era of 2020 will tell you that uh, even though it was difficult, I feel like it made everybody better. Um, And it it was fun, too, because I feel like genuinely after last season, then going back to doing some of our shows with analysts on the desk, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. Like This almost feels easy now. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully more normal shows this upcoming season, uh, seeing people face to face and actually being on the desk with people, because uh, while I thought, we did put out a great show last season. Uh, I, I think you just can't put a price on everyone being in the same room and being able to feed off of each other. Uh, and I think everybody feels that, no matter what you do after the last year. or So
1: this might come off as a little bit of inside baseball, but I'm really interested in the on-air person who can act as the point guard in those scenarios. And I watched Dari do it up close and it blew my mind because of all the different things that he has going on in his ear and Peter Burns. And you know, you watch people like Laura Rutledge, Maria Taylor, Ernie Johnson, these people who do it and make it look so freaking easy and it's not. Is that the type of role that you like? Or do you kind of like setting the you know the setting that you have on out of pocket where it's a bit more relaxed and more importantly on that show, you get to pretty much just eat donuts on air when you're not talking. That seems pretty good too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I uh, I definitely would not trade either of those roles. Out of Pocket was awesome, especially in our first season of, you know, trying to figure out exactly what we wanted that show to be. And, you know, I went into that season saying, you know, I grew up, my childhood revolved around college football and I woke up every morning just so excited to watch every single second of every college football game that I could see and and that was sort of that feeling that I wanted to bottle up and bring into out of pocket you know mixed in with the donuts and the Saturday morning breakfast and all that good stuff so uh, I really enjoyed that but I do also enjoy being the point guard, as you mentioned, I mean, it it was definitely a big learning curve for me, you know, I I came from local news, I, I was a sportscaster at a couple of different markets across local news. And it was unlike anything that I had ever done before. But you know, you learn how to do it, you figure out how to do it. And I think there's this magic of a 30-minute live show with analysts that you love working with and are friends with and you truly never know exactly how it's going to go or who's going to go off the rails uh i was actually just reminiscing earlier today with two of the ladies i work with for women's basketball coverage steffi and andrea carter and we've been able to develop such a friendship over the last few years of us all sharing a desk together that i get so excited to sit on the desk with those two women, because I know, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about basketball. We're going to get you everything you need to know. But I also know that someone's going to start smack talking or someone's going to take a jab at somebody else. And then I sort of get to play referee in the middle of that. Uh, And I think that that really translates to people who are watching at home, because if you're sitting there with your buddy watching a basketball game and you're both cheering for the other side, like that's what it's going to sound like. So um, that's something that I really enjoy and I hope I get to do it for a long time. But really the reason why I enjoy that point guard position is because of the players, if you will, that are around me and that I get to work with because the cast that we have at the SEC network is just so, so talented, so personable. And I truly love working with every single one of our analysts.
1: What was your your favorite moment from either show last year?
0: Ooh, that is tough. Um, We had a couple of interviews last year on TOL that I really loved. We have a lot of funny moments. um, But I also did an interview with now former Ole Miss receiver Elijah Moore, and we talked about the Egg Bowl from the year before and, of course, the infamous – Celebration in the end zone that ended up being on every single show uh, across sports television everywhere, and and we talked about it. You know, we, he didn't shy away from that topic. Uh, I think it was ahead of the Egg Bowl in 2020 uh, when we had this discussion, and we talked about how he had grown from that moment and how he had taken one of the more embarrassing things I think he would say in, in his career and, and turned it into something of growth, not only for him, but for his team. Um, and, you know, on COL, we love to have a good time and we like to have fun, but it's also important to be able to show, in my opinion, some of those more serious moments from those players, because, you know, in this age of, of social media and Twitter, he got absolutely killed for that uh, across yep. social media and There are a lot of people who probably never even considered, you know, how he probably didn't sleep that night because it was eating him alive. And, uh, you know, how he was just a kid in college and did something stupid like all of us who've ever been in college have done. So uh, that was one of my favorite moments from TOL. And then on Out of Pocket, we had a bunch of really out of pocket interviews. Uh, I did an interview with two Kentucky players. Uh, it was an unlikely friendship between an offensive lineman and their kicker and they just razzed on each other back and forth and back and forth and uh, it was really fun because like I said you know we, we sort of present that show as an opportunity to be more laid back we talk ball um, but we also like to keep it light and, and let these guys show off their personality because so many times they're being interviewed it's about x's and O's and well what what went wrong last week what do you have to do next week and a lot of these guys have so many stories that are so entertaining or so inspiring or, or whatever it might be that uh, I just loved having the opportunity to, to talk with some of those players You may not get the shine uh, week to week that, that uh, some of the star players do. So a lot of great moments, but those are some of my favorite ones from last year.
1: Last year especially, it seemed like shows like yours – and I know this is something that we took really seriously at SDS was just trying to be an escape with how heavy things were uh, you know, in our country, just in a variety of ways, having something that felt like an escape. And we, you know, we talked about this on the podcast a lot last year, was just how can we let people sort of relax and like kind of let their guard down and just kind of come to this place where they feel like they can get true entertainment, take their mind off of things. And you guys did such a good job with the original programming at SEC Network to be able to make that happen. And I don't want to do the whole what was it like to to cover college football during COVID thing, because I think that's pretty well documented at this point. But maybe last year, those moments that you had on the field, what were some of the maybe one of the more strange moments that you had that you look back on and you just kind of think, yeah, that, that was pretty much peak 2020?
0: Yeah, you know, there there were a lot of moments like that. Um, I only did a couple of games last season since I was mostly in studio. But, I mean, you saying that it's an escape, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, that's why I loved sports growing up, and that's why I wanted to get into this field. So even for me, being able to sideline a game or get into a show, especially, you know, we talked about COVID a lot. And we talked about a lot of the things that were going on in this country. But, you know, when we got into the conversations of new coaches, new players, standout players who could win the sec, not that you forgot about it for a second, but it was like, okay, it's, it's great to be a sports fan and to have that escape for a moment, no matter, no matter who you are. So, you know, it was certainly a moment like that when I got to get back on the sidelines after, being so unsure of what the year was even going to look like. And then we've got a season and you're standing there on the sidelines. And I think the first game I did last year was Tennessee at South Carolina. Um, And for me, it's, it's always cool to be back at my alma mater, but, you know, being on the sidelines and looking up and seeing people in the stands, even though it was not even full and people have masks on, it was just like, oh, we're doing it. Being able to see the guys doing what they have worked their whole life for, and play on that field was just this moment of you just want to take this deep breath, seeing Taylor Zarzer and Matt Stinchcomb, the guys that I typically work with on college football Saturdays. Like I wanted to give them the biggest bear hug of the entire world, but I couldn't because COVID. So uh, I'll do that this year. But you know, there were, there were a lot of moments that you just kind of had to adjust to. And I know in that first game, that Tennessee, South Carolina game, doing the halftime interview. It was either halftime or post game. I can't remember now. Um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's got a headset on and there's a speaker in his seat and the speaker's given that screeching feedback and he's like, I can't hear you. And I'm sitting here like, (laughs) well, I've never done anything like this before. They didn't teach you this in journalism school, like what to do when the coach just is yelling, I can't hear you (laughs) during the interview. So, um, There were some moments like that where, you know, I walked away from that post game interview, like, okay, well that could have gone a little bit better. And that's always disappointing as a broadcaster when you, you come off of a, of a show or a broadcast feeling that way. But like you said, it was sort of one of those it's 2020 moments and you move on. And the next time I was back out there in the same situation, I kind of knew a little bit better, maybe how to navigate it. Um, But you know, last year was such an anomaly Uh, We learned a lot. There's a lot of those shake your head and hope it never happens again moments. uh, And hopefully things look a little bit more normal this year.
1: So South Carolina, your alma mater. Uh, Last time we had you on, I think it was a couple weeks after that opener. And we talked about that. And at the time, I mean, nobody would have assumed that the two coaches in that game would both end up getting fired. I I didn't think at the time South Carolina was going to fire Muschamp, pay $15 million buyout and all that. But obviously things unraveled in a hurry. Shane Beamer gets the gig. Have you been able to chat with him yet? And if so, what are your impressions of him?
0: So Shane Beamer was a candidate that after they fired Will Muschamp, I think I went on a local radio station in Charlotte. And someone asked me, you know, like, "Who, who are some of your top guys to go get the job? And... In that time between Muschamp getting fired and, and doing that interview, I was chatting with a couple of the guys who I was friends with in college who played for Spurrier, and it was the same name every single conversation that I had. Uh, Steven Garcia is well-loved and known across not only South Carolina but SEC football, and I believe he was all over Twitter saying, like, it's got to be Shane. It's got to be Shane. Yep. And the more I talked to those guys about, you know, well, well, what was it about Shane? Because when I was there, I never had a face-to-face conversation with him. I can't say I ever met him maybe more than in passing when I was working in the Columbia market. Um, and they all just said the same thing, energy. He knows the game. He's a heck of a recruiter. He's a guy you want to run through a brick wall for. And so when they made that hire, I was like, well, if he's good enough for one of the best teams that South Carolina ever put on the field during those years, like that's good enough for me. Now we got to see and sit back what he and see what he can do. So, um, you know, I was in studio for his introductory press conference and I, I was truly blown away. Um, you know, when you're in that studio, you truly learn how to pack your pack, your fandom and put it in a suitcase and pick it up after the show. And even as just a college football fan, I was so impressed by some of the things he said and the questions that he answered. Um, I've loved what I've seen, not only on social media, but in some small chats with him, some chats with other media members from the Columbia area. Like I said, I I worked in that market for several years. So I still have some friends who live there um, and a couple of them have made comments about, you know, Oh, I did a, Zoom interview with Shane the other day, and he remembered my name and he remembered everything we talked about from the interview we did, you know, the day he got hired. And for a coach to meet dozens and dozens of local media members and, you know, be able to remember those things and leave such a good impression on the local media, I think is a great start, first of all. (laughs) Um, And then just seeing the reaction from like I said, former and even current players about what's happening there. I'm not sure that man has slept. It feels like they're recruiting every single day. And and they've got a lot of work to do. I think he knows that. But I'm very excited for that hire. I'm not sure that there was anybody higher on my list after all the conversations that I had, knowing the coaching pedigree that he came from. And then for me personally, like, not to ramble about Shane Beamer, but, you know, I grew up a Virginia Tech fan. Both of my parents were Hokies. I grew up going to games in Blacksburg. I was diehard maroon and orange. And, unfortunately, they don't really have a journalism program, so that's kind of why I steered away from going to college there. Um, My dog growing up's name was Beamer after Frank Beamer, so, like, we were a huge (laughs) Beamer household so for me to be like, oh, my gosh, there's pictures of Frank Beamer walking around a mall in Charlotte in a Gamecock polo, like, that's also pretty cool. Twelve-year-old <laughs> um, Alyssa is, like, screaming every time I see Frank Beamer wearing garnet black, so um, I'm very excited just, you know, not putting the expectations on Shane that, that Frank had at Virginia Tech is, is always hard for fans, but knowing that he's the son and has a direct line to one of the best to do it, uh, I think, is huge, and I'm very excited.
1: I want to get his mom, Cheryl, on the show. You you need to yes. see if you can get her on SEC Network because I I don't have you read the story. Okay, so the story is she was at the family lake house and she was carrying one of the, one of her grandkids and she tripped over the dog and she breaks like a clavicle, six ribs. But they do the x-rays on her and then they find out that she like was just working through a broken leg that entire time. Like, oh That's the type of woman that I need to spend more time with and have conversations with because, man, I, I, the apple doesn't far fall from the tree in terms of just talking to Shane. She seems like she would be just a pleasure to sit down and have a conversation with.
3: I was gonna
0: say I hadn't heard that story, and now like forget Frank. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, like you said, that that pedigree like clearly he comes from tough blood. Uh, that's incredible. We definitely need to get her on. That that is great. You let me know when you have her on, and then we'll we'll ask for her to come on SEC Network because that's awesome.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I've been trying to figure this out for a while, and I've been thinking about it as it relates to Beamer, as it relates to Beamer, because I, I like the guy a lot, and I've been trying to think about how far can he take this? What does the ceiling looks like? And as someone who was there during the glory years of Spurrier, you might have a different perspective on this. I look at the facilities at South Carolina, and I think to myself, those are as good as any in the country. We know about the in-stadium atmosphere; it's excellent. But then I think about where Clemson, Georgia, and Florida were at maybe a decade ago, and I compare that to now. And I think it's unfair to assume that South Carolina can get back to that place that they were at with Spurrier. What's your take on that whole deal? Like, How do you approach the South Carolina ceiling conversation?
0: Yeah, I talked about this a little bit after... Beamer was hired last year and not just for South Carolina, but for every other program out there, it always bugs me. And, and, you know, Twitter isn't reality, but unfortunately sometimes it feels that way when you're constantly on Twitter. Um, I hate that argument where people are like, Oh, well, you've got this new coach and you expect to be a winning program. But like, people at South Carolina need to remember that you're South Carolina. Like it is what it is. I never really understood that. Um, We've got (laughs) programs who are dynasties right now, who haven't been dynasties since the moment they started playing football. Like that, that never made sense to me. You know, when I was in school, we never once lost to Clemson and look at Clemson now. Like we made fun of Clemson mercilessly when I was in school, like five Pete in pictures all the time. And if you want to go back into the history books, yes, Clemson is winning in the win column by far when it comes to that series, but still like it shows you how things can change. And you brought that up with South Carolina and their facilities. They're incredible. And when they were playing football with Spurrier back from, what, the 2010 to 2014 were really the big years, the back-to-back 11-win seasons, Outback Bowl, uh, beating Alabama in 2010. I mean, those facilities weren't there. The facilities that were there were, were not nice <laughs> at sure. all. Um, they were still able to recruit the Jadavian Clownies and the Marcus Lattimore's and the Connor Shaw's and the Stephon Gilmore's who made that team what it was. And, and there's obviously an argument for Steve Spurrier being a huge reason why those players were there. But I, I just never understood that like, oh, well, South Carolina fans should just be happy with seven wins from year to year. Like, what are we doing then? What What is the point of sports then if we're just sitting here going like, oh, it's Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame. Like, it is what it is. Everybody else just sit down. And I feel that way about Vanderbilt, about Ole Miss when they hired Lane Kiffin. Like, you're hiring a coach to win a national championship. And every coach says that. And, and yes, it always sounds like coach speak when they're sitting at that podium. But otherwise, you wouldn't fire coaches if you you didn't think that winning was something you'd be able to do. So I, I think that... South Carolina is a program that can get back in that conversation of being ranked in the top 10, being a favorite to win the SEC East, maybe even the SEC. Is it going to happen this year? No, probably won't happen next year either, but it's not unheard of to think that this could be a team that could get back to the top. Just looking at the SEC, as an example, and all of the teams who have had shots over the last couple of years, like not a lot of people were expecting LSU to do what they did in 2019, certainly after Joe Burrow's first couple of years. So uh, from the facility standpoint to being on campus, uh, you know, South Carolina has all of the things, all of the material things that they need to be successful. It's just a matter of putting those puzzle pieces together, but that's the same on every other college campus everywhere so uh, it'll take time a lot of South Carolina fans ask me what I think the ceiling is for this year and I'm not I'm not hopeful like it's not Shane's team there's a lot of things that they need to figure out there's a culture that they're rebuilding right now and it typically doesn't look good in the very first year for a coach unless you're Lane Kiffin and launching your clipboard 50 feet in the air so I'm, I'm hopeful but Uh, I I try to be realistic in that it'll take time.
1: I don't think it looks good for any first-year coach in the SEC, but I do think that if there's one coach who has the chance to maybe get the most momentum and maybe make this previous season look like uh, a totally different era, I think it is Beamer. And part of that being the recruiting and all the momentum that he has right now, Uh, Tennessee, another program with a first-year head coach, where are we at with this Tennessee streak with you? Because last we chatted, Tennessee fans were under the impression that every single event that Alyssa Lang is at, Tennessee is going to win. Did that streak continue? I know you didn't cover as much as many football games last year, which probably explains why Pruitt was ousted in the fashion that he did after that losing streak. So while you're responsible, I guess, for Tampa winning titles, I think you're also kind of responsible for Tennessee falling apart the way that it did down the stretch.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange thing that has happened with me and this Tennessee fan base because I am still undefeated on the sidelines of any Tennessee sporting event. that includes basketball as well. So um, oh my gosh. it's funny because ahead of that Tennessee South Carolina game, I think one of the Rocky Top blogs or maybe a Tennessee fan or something tweeted that out that, oh like Alyssa's doing the game. We're good. And then, of course, all the South Carolina people are like, wait, 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 wait. Like, why are you cheering for Tennessee? And, of course, I'm like, I'm not cheering for anyone. But the numbers do happen to be there uh, that I, for some reason, always see Tennessee win when, when I'm out there. And it's funny because Madison Shipman, who is one of our softball analysts, played at Tennessee, huge Lady Ball, Vol, huge Volunteers football fan, Um she is always giving me grief about, like, why can't you be at more Tennessee games? Come on. Like, we need you out there. And I'm just like, this is a fan base that I don't want to turn against me. So right. I feel like the – games the better so that i have a better average <laughs> at the end of the year because i don't want to start doing like five tennessee games in a row and then they lose all of them and then and then mm. the fans hate me so um i'm good where i'm sitting right now but yeah i i am undefeated on the sidelines of balls games <laughs> I,
1: I think you got to find a new team to elevate this year would would arkansas work a team like that
0: I was going to say I, uh, I did a lot of Arkansas games in 2019. I think I did like four or five Arkansas games and that was the tough year for Arkansas. Um, And I would be in the lobby of the graduate in Fayetteville. And I think it was my, I think Taylor Stinch and I did three in a row actually. Um, And we were leaving for one of the games and I'm, I'm not kidding. One of the Arkansas fans was like, what did you do to keep getting sent back here and, covering this team because they just were struggling so hard but uh that that's a team that honestly that year I fell in love with um they had a lot of young talent and I loved talking with those guys so I wasn't super surprised at what happened in 2020 despite the final season record not being very impressive we all know that Arkansas was so fun to watch and Won- or lost a lot of close games. So Arkansas was one of those teams that I was trying to hype up ahead of last year. Um, and then it ended up being, you know, one of the more fun teams at, le- at least for me to pull for. So who knows, maybe, uh, maybe when I'm on the sidelines of an Arkansas game this year, we'll start a new streak. Um, but, but go. yeah, maybe I need to start spreading the love around a little bit better. <laughs> South Carolina fans are like, can you give me some please? Can you, can you be good luck for us?
1: I want to, I want to get you out of here with uh, some rapid fire questions. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind, or if you got a 10 minute story that works too, is, is that good for you? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. First one, obvious. How are you dealing with the Chick-fil-A sauce shortage?
0: Oh, I, I bought the full size bottles from the store. I'm yep. good.
1: <laughs> Smart move. I, you know, I did it last year. Haven't restocked, and I've regretted it. Need to do that very soon. That's that's the best way to do it. I've asked that question, I think, to four different people, and that's the best answer that I've heard so far. So good on you for that. Yeah. Um, number two.
0: I mean, when I, toughest, was, great, I was like, oh, I'm
1: <laughs> yeah. That, I think we all need to get to because there are Publix now too. They're they're pretty much yeah. in, in in the main grocery store realm there. So I think we all need to to get on that. Number two, the toughest coach to physically track down for a halftime or post-game interview?
0: Oh man. Um When he was there, I might say it, w- it might've been mush Champ because when mm. he came out of the locker room at halftime, like he was moving, <laughs> he would be sprinting and I would have to like literally get in front of him and almost get tackled by him. I'm trying to think, who else? All, all of our coaches are honestly really good. And, and when I say all of our coaches, I mean the SIDs, who make sure that they
3: yeah. wrangle
0: the coach <laughs> to be there. Um yeah, Champ I remember, like, really having to laser focus on. And then I've only done one Alabama game. It was my very first year. And Saban wasn't difficult to find. I was just so nervous because it was my first year at the network, and it was Nick Saban, and it was Alabama, and I wanted to make sure I did a good job. So I remember that one being difficult, but for different reasons. Nothing because of Coach Saban. <laughs>
1: Not the wheels. Not he doesn't have Kirby or Jimbo speed. I, I don't think at this at this stage post hip surgery. Definitely not um, getting up there with the wheels. But yeah. um, number three, the SEC's best in stadium environment from field level is what?
0: Ooh, that is so hard. I remember this is, this is going to be like the biggest callback ever to what we were talking about five minutes ago, not in 2020. I think it was 2019. I did South Carolina at Tennessee in Knoxville and it was a night game. And I think it was the first night game that I had gotten to do with us. Um, And it was insane. It was, it was a great game in the first half. Tennessee blew the doors off of South Carolina in the second half, but, We had had a lot of blowouts that year. Um, So we were kind of coming in, I think, maybe expecting, okay, like this could be a good game, but we don't want to get our hopes up. And I remember it being difficult to hear in my earpiece on the sidelines for that halftime interview because it was just deafening. And at that point, I had not been um, at Rocky Top for a full house. That was the first time I had done it. Um, And I just remember walking away from that being like, wow, wow, (laughs) that was insane. So uh, I still haven't been to every SEC football venue, which is, is crazy to say I still have a couple left to check off the list. But I think that 2019 South Carolina at Tennessee game was one of the crazier environments I've seen so
1: far. What's the NIL deal that you're most jealous of so far? And please tell me it is either the Trey Knox PetSmart deal or the the Raising Canes deal that Isaiah Spiller and Miles Brennan have.
0: I was going to say the Trey Knox deal is awesome. And I'm going to try to do everything in my power to get my dog Marvel and Trey's dog Blue, I believe is his name, the Husky. Mm -hmm. Um, like a play date somehow. Like I will fly Marvel to Fayetteville if that's what it takes. I need that collaboration to happen. But also, the Arkansas offensive line—the entire offensive line—was sponsored by I think it's Wrights Barbecue, which is the best, the best business partnership ever. Offensive linemen and barbecue joints. Like I sent that to Matt Stinchcomb immediately, and he was just like, "Yep, yep, this would have been me." So. Um, those two i'm very jealous of and you know both coming from the state of arkansas so they're clearly they're clearly doing a great job so far out there
1: last question and it's definitely the most important one you are all about the powerlifting life at least you were as of the last conversation that we had what are the, what are the deadlifting numbers at post pandemic here
0: oh man i have not hit my max deadlift in a while but I feel like the last time I did it was probably two or three months ago. And I think I pulled 245, which for me Dang. is pretty good. Um, I was I was very happy with that. As long as I'm in like the mid twos, that's a good day for me. So now that you say that, I need to go back to the gym immediately and find <laughs> out what my new max is. because I have slacked off in that category a little bit, um, but I'm pretty sure it was 245.
1: All right, bonus question, how many SEC coaches could you out deadlift?
0: Oh, all of them, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> let me think, you know, obviously there's some bigger guys who I think probably pull a lot. Um, I'm trying Drinkowitz to think of maybe is doing
1: the. Drinkowitz is doing like these these gym shots, like these gym videos, and I think he's just trying to send a message of like, hey, I know I didn't play in college, but I still get after it. So that, I think, though, that I would I would love to be able to kind of see how that would go or, or Beamer, Like, one of these guys who's, like, maybe not as big. Like, you know, going up against Coach O is, come on, that's not fair at this point.
0: Kind of not fair, yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you. I feel like that would be a great way for me to continue to network with our coaches by challenging <laughs> them to a weightlifting competition. <laughs> They're going to be like, please get out of here. Like, absolutely not. Um, but But, yeah, drink is, like... Um, drink is a spitfire like I love talking with coach Drink, and you're right seeing him out there like I know he gets after it um he's a girl dad which just makes him even more of a savage I'm sure um and that's what actually one of the things that I talked about last year a lot was how just like butts on fire Missouri played last year and they're they're honestly like not to get off topic here but they're one of my sort of maybe surprise teams going into this year just because of what I saw from them from an energy and culture standpoint last year, and that all comes from from Coach Drinkwitz. I mean, being able to talk to him before some of these games and, like, ask, hey, where's, where's this grit, where's this fire coming from, and just hearing him talk about the way he coaches up those guys um, – maybe in build he might throw some people off as like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't lift a lot. But I feel like he would be a like a quiet assassin in the weight room for sure.
1: And he kind of looks – he's one of those guys that just kind of looks for the motivation. Like I, I had him on a few months ago, and I think I said two things that might have rubbed him the wrong way where I could definitely – it wasn't on video, but I could tell he was probably getting a little bit on the work tough side. So he'd definitely be one of those guys who would like get in the gym and he'd – He'd be like finding whatever sort of motivation he possibly could, like if you did a certain weight, he would probably just try and do like ten pounds more than you because he's just kind of wired that way.
0: I was gonna say if i if I went on here and said that I thought I could deadlift more think Coach Drinkwitz, you'd probably print that out, put it on the locker room, and just stare at it every day while he deadlifts, and then I'm in big trouble. I'm in big which I am not saying that. I'm just saying hypothetically if I said that, I would be in big trouble because I know he puts that work in for sure.
1: Alyssa, this has been great. Really, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything you've got going on this year.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to talking with you guys again
2: soon. What's my destiny, mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates us. You never know what you're going to get.
1: Grocery stores are the subject for today's figuring it out. I do the grocery shopping in our household. We've got this whole routine for our big, at least for our big once a week trip on Sundays. We make the list. Shout out to the Google Home app. Nice because you can just kind of cross them off right there. Shows you a little picture. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Lauren will put it in order based on where things are in the store, which is pretty helpful. But oh, that's the next level right there. It is. It really is. It makes the whole process. And it, it's not exact, but it's for the most part, it's pretty much spot on to be able to go through and, oh, this is where I get produce. This is where I get you know shaving cream, whatever. For the most part, I like grocery shopping. Once I get past the produce section, which is where I start, we're good. We just end up having a lot of stuff there. I counted 15 bags that I had to rip off there in the produce section. We get those veggies in the O'Gara household. We really get after it. When I get frustrated is when something is dumb and it just doesn't make sense. Like something that should be in a specific place and it's not. Why would you put the fabric softening sheets next to the paper towels instead of next to the detergent? I don't care about that when I'm looking for fabric softening sheets. Or Wait, th- do you shop at Costco? No, 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 no. So I used to be Sam's Club way back in the day, growing up. I'm a Publix man through and through.
2: I want to give you a GoPro and just put you in the middle of a Costco. You would lose it. Like, things are next to things that don't make any sense, bro. It's just not right. It's just not right. It should
1: have a, a general flow to it, I would think. This mm-hmm. past week, why does my Publix, I figured this out. My Publix has the smallest section of shaving cream tucked into the back corner of the store that I I think CVS has more shaving cream than Publix. And that's just not right. They carry like four brands of women's shaving cream, which when you're shopping for your wife and you can't pivot because they don't have her brand and you don't want to be the guy in the grocery store who's FaceTiming with your wife because that person is the worst, (laughs) you know you got to make that return trip and you're just thinking that entire time, this sucks. I hate it. But like I said, for the most part, I love grocery shopping. The people who work in the meat and fish section, saints. I think they are maybe the most genuine people in the world. That's not an exaggeration. They do not work for tips and they'll do anything you ask them to do when it comes to preparing. You know, I had one time where I think the last three times that I've been to Publix, I asked for something that I thought was unique and out there. And I half expected them to just tell me, no, you're crazy. We can't do that. But this butcher volunteered to take a five pound Boston butt, take it down to two pounds and debone the entire thing for me. And I was like, you're the man. And he was fired up too. He wanted to know exactly what I was doing with it. It was like, I just made this guy's day by asking him to be able to do this. Like he was just sitting there like, man, hopefully somebody comes in and asks me to get this Boston butt down from five to two pounds.
2: I don't know. They operate on a different level and they are awesome. They are the people that make this world go round. We got to make like a list of like our unsung heroes. So we have mail carriers, and now we have public yes. switchers because I support both of those fully. I'm I'm all aboard that. I
1: somebody that like deveined and um and thawed out some shrimp for me as well. She was awesome because they only had the frozen bags in there and they didn't mm-hmm. have any of the fresh stuff. And she's like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll take out all the I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll take out all the claws for you and I'll I'll make sure that it, that it's thawed and ready to go. Just give me like five minutes. Okay, yeah, that's thank you. You made my life a lot easier and didn't even do so with expecting anything in return. I just think that's amazing. So I love seeing that. Sometimes I think to myself, if I lived in a foreign country and an American grocery store was my first experience in the United States, what takeaways would I have? The first thing that I would think is, well, clearly Michelle Branch and Sheryl Crow are the single biggest stars in American music. (laughs) If you go to the grocery store, Michelle Branch and Sheryl Crow, don't come on. Did you really go to the grocery store? Did you? Mm -hmm. Honorable mention to Colby Calais, Vanessa Carlton, and Natasha Bedingfield. I too have a pocket full of sunshine. Every single time, without fail, you are going to hear one of those five. And if you don't believe me, listen, next time you go in there. That is a guarantee. Will, what is the, the grocery store strategy in your household?
2: So, that's definitely a big Brittany thing. She is um, she's very good at saving money and economizing. So, she's, mm. she has, like, notifications for all these different, like, Instagram accounts and send her, like, bogos and stuff. And so, yeah, we're big, like, Publix slash Costco people. Uh, so, literally, it's, like, yeah, Publix for basically anything, like, produce, stuff like that. And then Costco for anything we need in bulk. That's why I was, like, ranting about Costco because, like, I'm fine in Publix. I can figure out a Publix. If you put me alone at a Costco, I'm literally just going to be, like, I'm gonna just have a fun, like, two hour day because I'm just gonna be wandering around aimlessly. (laughs) The step count, it certainly
1: likes those places. (laughs) There's no doubt. Right. But the mental sanity is just not always there. And I hate going into a grocery store and not knowing where something is. That just, oh, frustrates me to no end, especially when it doesn't make sense like that. But Sam's Club and Costco have the ultimate sample areas. At least they did back in the day. I haven't been to a Sam's Club or a Costco in forever. Do they still do that?
2: Do they still do Costco, yeah?
1: No no. no. Do they still <laughs> do the samples like
2: in in a post COVID? The do they yeah. still do that? So 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 they didn't have it during COVID, which is okay. very sad. That was one of my big like oh no, Disney Disney World shut down and there's no samples. This is the apocalypse. Uh, but they're coming back slowly. They're 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 hearty. Disney World came back after like a month. <laughs> Are we kidding? I know, I'm just saying, when they shut it down initially, I was like, oh no. Yeah, and that's the, the samples went away too. Those
1: two things, yeah, that's fair. Let's take it to the Facebook group. A lot, lot of really good responses here. Nick Ruark says, if someone only has two or three small items and you have a full cart, let them go ahead of you. It's common courtesy. That's what I was always told to do. I love it when people do that. That makes me feel a little Thanks. bit better. Be spatially aware in the grocery store. Be spatially aware. Aware. i'm gonna i have more thoughts on that in a minute but i wanted to save it for a comment michael dark says i met my wife when we were both baggers at kroger when we were 16 15 Aww. years as a couple and going strong that's adorable kroger's great i miss kroger back in indiana that is a big big deal back in actually nebraska kroger as well um that is a grocery store that doesn't necessarily get the national shine of a Publix because it doesn't necessarily have you know like the pub sub or something like that but elite grocery store, Kroger is. Connor, does that count as a meat cute? I think it does. I think it does. That's a workflow. <laughs> That's definitely uh, a Oh, there floor. you go. Yeah. Whole different thing, my bad. A meat cute would be reaching for the same coffee when you're in that aisle and then being like, oh man, I didn't know that you wanted this as well. Sorry, I'm not gonna go there. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Zahor says, stick to the list. If I go with my fiance, she always asks, do we need this? How much of this do we have? My response is usually, I don't know, is it on the list? Otherwise, she would spend $400 and end up throwing half of it away. You have to prep when you go to a grocery store. If you are trying to remember what you have for a week's worth of food, you're gonna make some mistakes. It's inevitable. If you don't come ready to go with that list, you're a bigger person than i am i cannot operate without that if i'm doing a full week's worth of shopping if i just need three or four things or whatever that's a little bit different but lauren and i when we used to go grocery shopping together and if i wanted to go rogue and get something that wasn't on the list that did not end well i heard about that yeah see
2: that's that's my strategy so like i said i usually go to costco don't really go to publix why because everything in Publix is tasty and i'm Mm. chonky and so I just be looking around, I'm just like, I look like a dog. I'm just perusing everything. <laughs> and so eventually Brittany figured out it's just better to leave me at home because I provide a negative asset, but she has a strategy, and I'm just like, oh, my God, Tinderloid. <laughs> you
1: save the family money by staying at home.
2: Exactly. I'm the real hero <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not the real hero.
1: Lynn uh, Vietri. Lynn says Publix is the best. I think that's what she's saying. Um, For a variety of reasons, starting with the subs and fried chicken, my husband and I both retired from Publix and have many stories. However, the best story is the lady during Passover shopping for her brisket and chasing my husband, who was the store manager at the time, yelling, your meat is too big. She was unhappy with the brisket sizes, apparently. I've never had someone shout at me, your meat is too big. Never been in that type of setting. But getting a, a full brisket from a grocery store sounds something like I would want to do right just now. That sounds delicious. Do people do that often? Like get a full-on brisket from a place like Publix? Or do you go to meat specialty stores to be able to do that? I'm just getting into kind of the, the full-on grilling game. So I haven't really kind of delved into that. Pork shoulders, one thing, but I feel like getting a full brisket if you're going to be feeding a lot of people is a little bit of a different story.
2: So, <laughs> you know me. You've been around me. I'm really competitive and uh, I just dare people to do things all the time. So the other day we were in Costco. This is why I'm just bad. I just shouldn't go shopping ever. I saw like a 15 pound brisket and I was like, oh, I like jokingly picked it up. And Brittany was like laughing and I was like, ha ha And I was like, bet you couldn't cook this. And she's like, what? I was like, no, nope, see, we're going to put it back because I don't think you can handle it. She's like, put it in the car right now. And we made a 15 pound brisket and it was delicious. <laughs> that was a great reverse psychology for me because I was just like it's okay you can't, you can't handle the 15 pound brisket and I just started to put it down she's like put this in the car
1: <laughs> for two people I'm doing some quick mental math here buddy that's like that's a solid two weeks if you're really getting after
2: it It was was a great couple weeks. It was a great. We had to like kind of cut it in half and freeze half of it. It was a strategy for sure. And my buddy was in town, so he had some of it. So it was just like, it was a spontaneous thing. But yes, if you're a psycho or if you have like six kids, it's probably a pretty good way to do things. Absolutely. Tanner Starr says, my wife
1: doesn't let me grocery shop because I don't look at expiration dates and don't care about coupons. I hated it at first, but I've come to like it. She always gets what I ask for too.
2: What a king. Just failing your way out of grocery (laughs) shopping. That's the way to do it.
1: Yes, sir. (laughs) Smart. Jonathan Mason. Kroger is now using Lil John and the Eastside Boys get low in their commercials to proclaim that they have low prices. And I'm not sure how I feel about that since it came out my freshman year of college and was in constant rotation in the clubs on the strip in Knoxville. I feel great about it. Lil John and the Eastside Boys comes on my uh, commercial for you know the grocery store that I go to I feel pretty fired up about that and it's sending a pretty loud message to Publix that y'all need to step up your game you can't just have these subs and expect that to do all the work now I'm thinking about how old I was when that came out that was definitely a middle school banger for me back in the day and that song came out at at, you know at middle school dances (laughs) You knew that it was... Did,
2: yeah, we didn't know what to do, to be honest. They just came on and we were like, all right, let's do a lot some of things, squats, I
1: guess. A lot of things we were still figuring out at that point in life. <laughs> what a great career shift, though. Shout out to the little John on the East Side boys. Jeff Johnson, Publix is the best grocery store. The subs alone make it so. I do most of the shopping in the house and it's grown on me. I have my routes I take in Publix and know the exact order everything has to be procured in drives me nuts when the wife comes in and messes it up. It is a, a science. Once you get in there to know the general flow, I have it down to where if I, when I get chicken or something like that, I try and not get that early in the process because I do this thing where if I get that early in the process, I'm, I'm always, I put myself on edge a little bit more to be able to finish because I'm like, oh, I've got chicken in the cart. And I know it's gonna that it'll go be bad fine. Or whatever. It'll be fine. I know it will be, but it puts more pressure on me. I noticed that I did that to myself and it was just so stupid. I'm just like, I'm just going to get this at the end because I don't need to be a, a total head case about this
2: like everything else. You Very feel the chicken fumes just hitting you in the face as you're pushing your car.
1: <laughs> I'm super cautious about that.
2: And not not to the but point where it's. Chicken fumes.
1: Not chicken fumes. But super cautious about the food poisoning thing. Anybody that's ever been through the food poisoning experience. I think you're a little bit more on edge. You're a little bit more aware when they ask you, do you want your meat separated? Sure. If that's something you're willing to do, I am never going to say no to that. Separate that meat. That is perfectly fine. I like it too when the person who's bagging your groceries will ask you a couple questions. But I remember back in the day when the grocery store that I used to go to in college, they would ask me like every single thing. Like, oh, do you want your Ziploc bags in a bag? Yeah, like, do you expect me to just be holding all of these things? You have you have named 12 items here that I am not going to be carrying individually. At some point, just assume this is going in the bag.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, you gotta, you know, I appreciate people being helpful. But, you know, if you're dealing with college, Connor, it's like, I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care. Like, you're probably just grabbing <laughs> some brewskis, grabbing some bratwurst, whatever you are doing in Indiana at the time. It's like, let me just get on out of here, bro. A lot of bratwurst references lately on <laughs> the
1: Brandon Spurlock says hate it I work six days a week and my wife is traveling is a traveling nurse who works night shifts so we don't have a lot of free time to do it we recently started having a company pick up and deliver our groceries to our house easily one of the smartest moves we've made no longer do I have to deal with the individual who stops in the entryway and blocks everyone no longer do I have to deal with the people who stand in the middle of the aisle and ignore you trying to go around them Publix, hands down, is the go-to grocery store, by the way. Okay, so Rick Williams piggybacking off of this similar comment. Rick Williams says, Do not walk inside the door and just stop in the middle of the effing door where no one else can get around you. Truer words have never been spoken. It's up there. I don't want to say it's my number one pet peeve in life, but a lack of spatial awareness Mm -hmm. it bothers me to my core. And at the grocery store, it is magnified in a different, unique sort of way. And when there's a traffic jam and people acknowledge it and it's this little thing where people are actually aware of it, that's totally fine. It's kind of a little bit of like a cute moment when there's like three people there and we're all like, oh, we're all trying to get to the same place and you acknowledge it. But there is nothing, nothing worse than the double parked people who have no idea that anybody else in that aisle exists and they are going to find that brand of sugar that they are looking for and they are not willing to acknowledge that five feet away, or social distancing, of course, eight feet away from them is a person who is trying to get past, who's just trying to live life. Get out of the way, man. Get out of the freaking way and acknowledge that I am a human being trying to do the same thing that
2: you are. And now I'm way too fired up. come, on, come on. Couple things off of that. You were ready to go on this topic. I appreciate that. Uh, another another person we can add to the list of unsung heroes: the significant others of people in the medical field. So, dude was talking about, like, his wife, like, coming at odd hours of the night and remember to do grocery shopping. I glossed right uh, past
1: that. Yes, you're right.
2: That's <laughs> what I'm here for. But, yeah, appreciate that. Obviously, you know, doctors and frontline, like, we appreciate everything they do. It's underappreciated how, like, their spouses kind of, especially if you work, like, a nine-to-five, got to, like, make that work. So, great job for you doing that. Um, if that was me, I don't know how I would handle that. <laughs> but, yeah, going back to the specially awareness thing, I totally agree. I live my life with the, uh, the Teddy Roosevelt quote, lead follower, get out of the way so you know if you're doing something do the heck out of it and if you're doing nothing get out of the way and like that's how the the grocery store should go it should be okay I don't really know what I'm doing right now I'm gonna take as little space as possible I'm gonna get up kind of against this wall and just let you oh you need me to move bro you need me to move I'm out you know what I'm saying be socially aware if you learn nothing from ever
1: listening to this podcast take that away be socially aware be a better person be a more aware person at the grocery store Drew Page wants us to know that there's a lot of vomit in the aisles in Walmart and Lexington. I think Walmart serves a purpose in every person's life at one point or another. So I'm not going to slander Walmart. And I'm not even going to slander the great city of Lexington, which I am now much more a fan of, having spent a decent amount of time there for my brother's wedding. So we'll, we'll, we'll move right past that one. Um, Will, unless you got Walmart
2: thoughts that you wanted to get out. I just, I just wonder what he would want me to do with that information. Like, I can't unknow that now. I just, now every time someone says that, I'd be like, don't go there, there's vomit in the house. There's nothing that you can tell a person that's going to make them stop going to Walmart. That's facts.
1: If they're going to Walmart, they already know everything that's associated with going to Walmart. There's, he might there's, get you a
2: patriotic montage, he might get stabbed. Hey, that's the American experience.
1: You just roll the dice. Jesse Foley says, best grocery store is H-E-B. Here are a few reasons. She's got a lot of reasons here. Fresh made tortillas in store. Incredible Ooh. produce variety. Everything store brand is Texas themed. Huge charity and disaster relief response. It's so good. It's often studied as part of marketing and grocery store best practices. Oh, did I mention H-E-B stands for here everything's better? Yep, really. I actually didn't know that. I know H E B. H E B is big in Texas, very, very big. That is kind of like their their Publix, um, and then Bucky's is you know kind of like the Wawa on the East Coast for them. But H E B is a place that I have never been. I don't think I've ever seen one, but it looks really, really good. It kind of looks like a, a cross between Whole Foods mm-hmm. and Publix. But I, so, I just don't don't quite know the extent of that
2: in kind of like SEC country, right? On the west you kind of got Buckees and AGB, and on the east you got Publix and Wawa, mm. and they just kind of converge at some point. And so like for me personally, you know, I don't really actually I don't think there are HEBs in Louisiana. Now that I think about that, I'm sure there are now, but not when I was growing up there. So, yeah, I I haven't really messed with AGB. I'll definitely check it out now. You were talking about Wawa. You know, that's a whole different thing, but yeah, it's I love localized grocery stores. I'll just go ahead and say that.
1: Piggly Wiggly up in the great state of Wisconsin. I go hoggly woggly. I don't know what to do with that. Daniel Batson says, I know the local Publix like the back of my hand. It drives my wife crazy when I make the list. I use the notes app in my phone. The last items I need are at the top of my list. The first items are at the bottom. All I have to do is hit backspace to clear my list and everything is in order. Smart, efficient way to do it. And then Emory Picker, Publix has the best meats. Kroger has the best prices and good Lord, do those Kroger points come in clutch. I wish now I took Kroger points more seriously back in the day, but if you can get those discounts and stuff like that too, that over the course of a year, if you look back on some of that stuff, that makes a world of difference. I don't do a good enough job with that. My mom one time got into a massive couponing phase. Coupon, right? It's not coupon. I don't know why I tried to say it that way. Big coupon fit. <sighs> can't stop saying that. (laughs) Big big face with discounts. Your your
2: brain was like, this is how a Midwestern person should say this. This is how I'm going to say it now.
1: (laughs) She would go into some of these stores and she would have these deals where she would come back with just like 15 razors and she'd say, guess how much all of this cost me? And then she would say, they paid me $2 to take these. I'm like, surely this is illegal in some way, (laughs) shape or form. I didn't quite get how it worked, but she mastered the system and it was really good. And then pretty much for a solid two years, whenever my friends came over, they would get, you know, a new razor, get some shaving cream. Oh, how are you doing on, you know, do you need any any vitamins or something like that? Go down to the basement, we've got all that stuff. I need some Ziploc bags. I don't know why. That's a that's that's probably not something that our generation really would do as much, but if you're big into couponing, you're probably saving a lot more money than I am.
2: You know, man, the equivalent of, like, when people say Game 7, like, the equivalent of that in home life is, like, guess how much this cost me. Like, I'll come in and Brittany, like, like, Brittany had this, (laughs) found this deal on Instagram where she was, like, flipping, like, motorized scooters that she got for, like, 10 bucks. Oh, boy. And I was, like, she was, like, guess how much these, like, 10 motor scooters cost me. I was, like, how much? She was, like, oh, like, 60 bucks total. I was, like, What? And so, like, she was, like, it was literally she was selling for, like, half price and, like, still, like, make people's, um, you know, like, make people's lives better. But, yeah. And, like, I'll say this, too, real quick. Back to the Publix thing. Something super dystopian, we talked about that earlier, is when you go to a different Publix from your Publix and things are, like, 15% different and you're just, like, that's underrated because you, like, master your Publix or your grocery store. And if you go to one literally down the street, it's, like, a whole different environment. I kind of hate it. And I've talked about that
1: before. The transition of going to a different Publix when you think everything's going to be the same and then you realize that it's actually just not at all. And the two Mm Publix that we kind of rotate between now are... And we usually go to the same one every time, but there's one that's very different and it makes zero sense to me and I end up always leaving a little bit annoyed. But it's smaller, so I'm not going to get lost in there like Costco and just be sitting in a corner crying. Next week, the plan. Different sort of schedule. We have... Pods that are going to come out, I think they're going to come out either late Monday, early Tuesday, and then again, I'm going to record late Wednesday, so that'll probably be coming out on the same normal day. Got a few things lined up already. Really, really excited for media days. We're going to have a lot of great content on saturdaydonsouth.com. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Go like, go subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, saturday.football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Facebook group, your name, reddit on the air in figuring it out. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.